0: Gentlemen, this is the Above the Bar Podcast, the show about a middle-aged father, current events, and how these things affect my everyday life. As always, it's Wednesday, 8 p.m., and welcome back to The Bar. We're all going to belly up the Bar of The Bar podcast. Tonight, we have something that's near and dear to my heart, but closer to my belly. It's my favorite thing in the world to talk about. Anyone who knows me, you get a couple of moments with me, you tell me what city you're in, I will probably tell you something I've eaten there, something I love there. I spent most of my time in the Marine Corps as a on recruiting duty. And I used to tell my Marines all the time, if you want to know a community, know where they eat. So I figured if you want to know, know anything and everything about what we've got going on here, we're going to have to re- bring, introduce this man. And, and before I introduce him, I want to read a couple of things here. You know, for those of you that know, no news, you know, who George Stephanopoulos is, if I can snuffle up, I guess. George Duff- <laughs> Snuffleupagus, uh, terrific food journalism. Page un- uncovers the untold stories of American food, a great read. The 2021 International Book Award finalist in history, United States, Living Now Book Awards, silver cookbook, Eth- ethnic holidays, number one release in f- history, humor, food and cooking and media tie in cookings. David Page changed the world of food television by creating, developing, and executive producing. And if you can introduce me to this man, you would be my new hero. Uh, The groundbreaking show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. I would like to welcome, bellying up to the bar with us tonight, Mr. David Page. David, welcome.
1: Well, thanks, Sean. It's great to be here. You you know, you, you talk about identifying places through food. When my now 28-year-old daughter was eight, she looked up at me during some conversation and said, Dad, how come every time we talk about going someplace, you talk about the food there? It is the way to know a different culture or country.
0: Absolutely. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, folks, is how do you know a community? How do you know things? Um, God, we just had uh, Benny Anderson, former Baltimore Raven, on last week, and he's in St. Louis. And mm-hmm. he's talking about Italian food. I said the hill. I knew yeah. exactly where he was talking. I was it's like a the toasted hill. ravioli. And that's exactly what he was talking about. So before we get too far into this, and, and we miss out on all of our housekeeping, we got a little bit of housekeeping we always got to do. So first thing, as always, folks, we got the big board. We got sticker and a cause. If you have something that you're supporting, something you believe in, something that's important to you, maybe David's got a, a Food Americana sticker for us somewhere. He can. Oh, send I a- do. And, and we will put the Food Americana sticker up here on the big board. This is your opportunity to get your thing out to a worldwide audience. You may not believe we're worldwide, but trust me, folks, we are worldwide. I get them every week. I get messages. Speaking of which, one of our listeners sent me the most impressive message. I want to mention him right now through Instagram, Preston Edwards. He said he listens all the time, and I'm telling you, His words meant so much to me. I shared it with my wife and my best friend. Preston, this show is dedicated to you. Thank you. Make sure you let everybody know to subscribe and share and like. Your likes and your follows get more people like Preston to get this opportunity to hear what we're doing, to know more about the show, and to know what's happening. Even if you're only listening to watching the video, take a moment and go into whatever app you have. If you have an Android phone, your Google uh your Google podcast. If you're on an Apple phone, go into your uh, Apple podcast and make sure you hit that follow button. Give us five stars. That's how everyone else gets to know about it. But at the same time, now do you, do you belong to any yard sale sites, David on Facebook, on Facebook, any of that stuff, any of those Facebook yard sales?
1: I haven't. I've been, I've been too busy writing. I'm sorry. A
0: big rut. I mean, who cares? it's words, David. Gosh. I mean, sorry. Oh, God. so, I always tell everyone take a moment and share our, share this Facebook uh, feed and YouTube feed to all your yard sales sites. That way that you can try to get kicked off of them. I get messages all the time where people are like, this is not relevant to our show. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going <laughs> to anyway. Like, it, it's so like, like how is it not relevant? You eat, you want to know good food. So you got to know it, but, but we're going to get into this. I want David, you know, what inspired this book other than you like to eat? What inspired you to write Food Americana?
1: Well, I'm a television producer majority of my 50 plus year career, and every television producer is convinced he or she has a book in them because we kind of have a chip on our shoulder about the respect that writing for TV doesn't get. You know, write a book, you're an author. Write for TV, you're who the hell knows. And in fact, writing for television is, in many respects, harder than writing a book because you can't just sit down and, and, and tell the story. You can, you know, it was a dark and stormy night, and then Oedipus killed his father. What you have to do is figure out the words the, that uh, will seamlessly take you from one on camera event to another. So your words are in service of picture and sound. And at some point, you, you look up and you say, uh, this is hard book stuff, must be easy. let me try that. And over time, over the years, even though I've been mostly in television, every few years, I've changed the specifics of my gig. So I looked up not that long ago and said, you know, it's book time. And I had my, my interest in understanding the culture of food beyond just going to McDonald's really uh, occurred when I was sent to Europe uh, unexpectedly uh, to cover Europe, Africa, and the Middle East for NBC News many years back. I had never considered living internationally. And when they said, Do you wanna move over there? I said, okay. I then was tasked with learning about and understanding all sorts of countries and cultures that I had, like most Americans, never paid any attention to. And as I started parachuting into country after country after country, it became clear to me uh, what you said at the at the beginning of this show, that the, the gateway to understanding a culture is through its food. It tells you its history, it tells you its poverty level, it explains to you the climate in which people have to endure, and the opportunity to sit down and share food with people has always been, in many respects, about as intimate an experience as you can get in terms of understanding each other and, and telling tales, some of them true. So I came back to the States having kind of, I mean, I've always liked to eat. I'm, I'm, no, uh, I'm not a ballerina, okay? Um, I, I wore the big boy pants. But I, I came back to the States uh, imbued with, with that interest. And uh, a few years after returning, I, I ended up uh, creating diners, which was um, in some respects, in many respects, a version of, of of that concentration on the sociology of food. Um, and it was a pretty short step from that to writing this book.
0: Now, you you mentioned Triple D, diner, mm-hmm. Drive and the Dive, the, mm-hmm. probably one of the greatest hares in all of television, Guy Fieri, if you don't know him. And, Keep talking. And I will tell you right now, through the pandemic, mm-hmm. one of the greatest humans on the planet. Mm-hmm. If you don't know Guy Fieri's foundation, I don't know the amount of millions that, that they donated directly to people in the food industry that yep. needed that help. Uh, yeah. Take a moment folks, if it doesn't give you chills to understand how much power a good heart and a good human have, go see what Guy Fieri did. Uh I'm going to pitch it now David, if you know him still and you still talk to him, love to have him on, we can talk. Oh, cool. well,
1: I I will pass that along. I haven't done the show for many years, but yeah, I I can
0: get that not, message to him. You get it like just slide it in there. So um, I love the idea. So what city are you in right now? I'm
1: uh, on Long Beach Island in oh, Southern yeah. New Jersey, which is a barrier Island, much, much like the ones in North Carolina. And we are in essence, the first sandbar North of Atlantic city. So culinarily we have some um, residual Philadelphia in this, but what we have, and Uh, Obviously Jersey Pete's and such But what we have at the north end of this island Which is only a a few blocks wide But 13 miles long Is we still have a commercial fishing port And every day The the day boats come back With what I believe to be The finest scallops On the face of the earth However, what what cracks me up Is we have scallops Uh, In August we have tuna uh, we have fresh tuna that, that is brought in from, from offshore. Uh, we have monkfish, we have tilefish, we have a lot of great seafood here. And it just breaks my heart when I uh, peek into one of the tourist restaurants and our visitors, and thank you for visiting, we need the cash. Our visitors are eating fried shrimp uh, that was imported from Indonesia. And I'm thinking to myself, look what we've got. Look at the, this, the scallops. Or the other day, a friend's, a friend's friend's boyfriend, went out fishing, and the friend of well, our friend whose friend's boyfriend came <laughs> back with the fish, I'll, I'll get it. Came to the house with this hunk of fresh tuna, and I made pokey, and it really, was, yeah, it was good. The best pokey I ever had was a fresh from a fresh caught tuna in Hawaii. This was um, nearly as good. It was just stunning.
0: Just stunning. So so you bring up the shrimp thing. Folks, I will say it today. I will say it now. If you fry shrimp, stop following me. (gasps) Please stop following me. There is only one way to eat shrimp, and that is steamed. That is it. I am from Baltimore originally there, David. So I understand. So you know. it, It is steamed with a Vidalia onion in Old Bay. That's it. And I would, pro- and in the water must be apple cider vinegar in the water. The apple cider vinegar in the water is a game changer. And on the top of the pot, please put little necks. Please put
1: well, little necks. It, in the midst, the high point of the pandemic, my wife and I had obviously been hiding. Our daughter does, and she's 28. Um, and we, we had gone nowhere. So we decided that the safe thing to do was get a B and B in a very sparsely populated B and B, and go down to Chincoteague, uh, where Maryland and Virginia come together yep. in, in search of crabs and in search of the horses that live there—the wild ponies. And and,
0: and, and the Assateague horses, when Assateague Island. Yeah. Yep.
1: Oh, what what. <laughs> When you eat what comes from a local area, that's, that's the way to eat. It's just, it's remarkable.
0: And, and, and I, you know, and I, if you haven't figured out folks in a moment here, David and I are going to virtually hug and snuggle and everything and talk about yeah. seafood because yeah. I could do that all day long, because I can tell you right now in that same area, there's a river called the Y river in Maryland. Yeah. You will get the greatest blue crabs you have ever had
1: out of the y river
0: the y river in maryland no, has s- the-
1: so is it salt
0: water it's is brackish. it brackish it's brackish it's so both, the- right so it's a freshwater river that comes down and hits the salt water and we call those crabs in there mutters when you flip them over their belly is yellow because that's al- that that's also
1: um a great environment for certain oysters as i understand it and i think that yeah the chesapeake where it um i guess it has the same thing where the fresh and salt water are are coming together although the best oysters are here on the jersey shore Uh, no actually it cracks me up because you go out for happy hour and the local oysters are a buck a shuck and the fancy oysters are two bucks. And to my
0: mind, ours tastes better. Look, I love Maryland fresh oysters. Uh, raw raw oysters shucked and <laughs> handed to you. There is yeah. nothing quite like it. But, you know, that's, you know, we, we talk about these food trends. I can actually remember being a kid and my dad talking to me about why we steamed crabs with beer. And he what is gets- the answer to that? Because the water, was, the water was gross and the beer was sanitary. That, that was my father. because my father was like, you Makes know, why perfect sense. It? He's like, son, because and I was like, I don't know. He's like, because the water wasn't safe to drink. The beer was sanitary because it had been boiled and everything else. So that's why you use beer, um, which
1: is why allegedly in the Middle Ages, be it true or not. Uh, supposedly people drank beer and wine instead of water for the same reason.
0: It, it makes perfect sense because of the sanitation side of it, right? But, but now you've seen, and, and I can talk to the cities I've been to, the places I've been, in the cultures. Like I said, grew up in Baltimore. We had a very large Polish population, very large Italian and Irish population because of s- steel mills in that mm-hmm. Jersey. I imagine, I, 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 I imagine they're very similar because we're both coastal that way. Well, no,
1: North Jersey is like that because it was industrial. South Jersey is really, um, I mean, less so this year, but for uh, this this decade, but for a long time, South Jersey was the boonies. Um, and there were, um, there was a, a group of people called Pineys because they lived the in, Baron. well, they lived in the Pine Barren. And the, it was a, a negative term and, and left you feeling like um, the aspersion was, it was kind of like deliverance back there. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: oh, that's rest all i can ned tell you
0: big, big ned big ned left us this year yeah rest in peace ned Beatty. well you know so thinking about these food trends and uh i probably get the guy's name wrong i whenever i see him on tv my wife goes that's the guy you want to hang out with yeah uh, Jose a lugo lugo is that his name the uh restaurateur that's always uh god what the hell is his name
1: I can't help you. I don't watch a lot of food television.
0: You make food television. I don't understand. You make it. Oh, now I'm writing. I'm busy. But I can't think of his name right now, but he wrote a cookbook. Mm -hmm. And correct myself. He opened a restaurant in D.C. based on like a 1700s cookbook where it had recipes for things like peanut butter and jelly. And
1: I'm stunned. uh, Mac
0: and cheese. And the reason I bring that up is what are some of the things that like because your book is about food trends and culture and how we've seen these changes. What are some of the things that right now that you might, I mean, obviously things availability, but what are some of the things that you might say that, hey, back in, I don't know, even in in the last 20th century that we might have been eating or a food trend in the early 1900s. That today we would be like, I'll be damned if I'm gonna eat that.
1: Well, quinoa came and went. Uh,
0: yeah, that's currently <laughs> yes. Quinoa has gone the way of the dodo.
1: Oh, there was. Uh, let me think. Do you remember liverwurst? Yes, I like liverwurst. So did I, but it was it was a cheap lunch, or um, pickle and pimento loaf, all of those processed lunch meats. Kind of had their day and and now if you go to a you are seeing either legitimate um meat or something claiming to be the same um it was funny I heard on the radio the other day there was a discussion of Welsh rarebit you remember Welsh rarebit okay no back in know. the back in the 60s it was and I can't figure out if it was a hoity toity dish or or not, but basically it was toast topped with a combination of cream, cheese, um, salt, pepper, and Worcestershire sauce. And um that was oh Robert Van Steenberg loves liverwurst, as well. Um that that was a popular dish back then. Um, you don't, I, you know, I, I don't know the answer to this question. I wonder how much meatloaf people are making out there. Um, I
0: love a good meatloaf. A great, uh, well, Minnesota's yeah. you are making meatloaf every day. Well, like, you gotta, but it's meatloaf. Or meatloaf, it's Minnesota. Well, <laughs> listen, I just
1: got back from Minnesota. I'll tell you some stories. Um, of course, in Minnesota, they call it hot dish. That's right. Jeanette, she, he says there's mustard in Welsh rare, but she's right. I forgot well, you got to
0: know that Jeanette is our international. She lives here in Albany with me, but uh-huh. she is my number one fan international. She lets me know anything that the English might have eaten. Uh, yeah, which is scary. And, and well, I I like to my do you want to know my favorite cooking show ever? And I love Tell cooking me. Shows. Tell me. Two fat ladies. Well, they were great. The food was good. The two fat ladies were the most amazing. And if you've never watched them, and they're anybody fantastic. got there like, oh my God, I can't believe he's saying that. That was the name of the show. They were they fantastic. They in a mo- motorcycle with a sidecar. They were yes. amazing. And everything yes. was put more lard or put more butter in it. It was amazing. Well, but the fact of the matter is, uh,
1: fat's flavor. Uh, last year? No, the year before last. No my sure. wife and I were in Spain around this time. And we took a cooking class and because I have very bad rudimentary Spanish and no one else in the class seemed to, the grandmotherly lady who was leading the class decided to basically interact with me. And at one point she was explaining um, how to use olive oil. And, And what she said was pour in more than you think you need, then pour in a lot more really but fat is flavor and you know it's funny when you talk about health or fitness we go through these the, these phases with fat the fact of the matter is you need some fat in your diet um and pretty much um well not all fat but for example butter got a huge uh, i'm sorry lard got a hugely bad rap but if you take a close look at the composition of lard it's it's no worse for you than butter is. And a little butter won't kill you. A lot of butter will. It's, you know, we we truly don't eat or cook like the French who believe in really good food and great ingredients in small portions.
0: Uh, it, it's funny you would mention um, the things that you're mentioning because I, I just watched... Um, I told you, I watch a lot of food TV shows. I love food TV shows. I just watched, uh, and first, the one I couldn't remember was Jose Andreas. I couldn't remember. Oh, one. yes, yes, yes. Okay. I love Jose. Like he, again, Jose Andreas is on that level of Guy Fieri for taking care of the human race. Um, but I just watched uh, Angry Man. What's the angry one that's always cussing the English guy? <clears throat> you know, the one that's Hell's Kitchen.
1: Oh, God, uh, yes, who um, actually has a three-star Michelin restaurant in his, right. in his real life, but, yes. But
0: I was watching his road show going across the country with, with a, his best friends that was a Frenchman and a uh, an Italian, and it was so interesting to me to watch the, the dynamics of people who haven't been here. Um, have you ever been to Albany, David?
1: I have, as a matter of
0: fact. Have you ever had the Tiny Hot Dogs? Oh, I know what you're talking about, and I haven't. What are they called? They're just tiny hot dogs. They're just, it's hot dogs. So, for people have heard me talk about it, they're little tiny hot dogs that we have up here in Albany, and they're on a little tiny bun with a meat sauce and the cheese and everything. They're actually amazing. Mm-hmm. And there's like the, the we have a patent. Well, it's like a rival rivalry with places. It's great. You got to get, I need details
1: on that because I'm actually doing a chapter on hot dogs. So. will you come up here. So, um, tails would be important.
0: You come up here. You're frozen
1: office. on me, Sean.
0: That uh, I, I think we froze on each other. Are we back? Oh, ah, okay. We back? Well, there we are. So, yeah, we'll you're back. I'm it. back. We're back, but we'll have to do it because, like, up here, you have famous lunch, Gus's, mm-hmm. hot dog Charlie's, and it's like this whole thing. And normally it's like Gus's and hot dog Charlie's. I'm a famous lunch guy. Like famous well, lunch is like the libertarian party of this whole thing.
1: So if I if I come up to Albany for the book, you'll drive me around. You can be my guide. One okay, hundred percent. deal. We'll work that out.
0: We will work that out. And Jeanette says I upped my gravy game by after reading Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential's butter and shout Look, there it is, right there. That is my spirit animal. Is Anthony Bourdain. Like, I love Anthony. He's just oh. one, one of those What chari- was a TV character, and we've talked about it on the show many times, probably the only TV personality that ever passed away, and I actually gave a shit.
1: Yeah, like, you know, it was interesting to watch his evolution from before he was on TV, hating television, being pretty verbal about how food television was crap, and right. then ending up doing it, but doing it his way. He, he um, was
0: impressive. Yes. I, I God, just one of those kind of guys. Now, is there any city that you've been to, and, and this might be, um, any city you've been to where you're like, don't waste your time. They're just. No, like, no, no, or, no, or no. There's. Like, there's... I, can there's... You, I can name you one. I what? can name where? you one. And, and here's the problem with it. And it's, yeah. it's where I will probably retire at. Well, uh-oh. But the food scene does not exist, and it's because of – this will make you crazy. The food scene doesn't exist because of the census. You ever heard that before? So Jacksonville, North Carolina is where Camp Lejeune is. You can find every single chain popular restaurant from any community across the country uh, in – in this city, it doesn't. Ha- now, you get outside of it and you can get real crackling outside of it. You can go down to Wilmington and get amazing food. You can go out to Surf City. Um, the, you know, you're going to tell me
1: nowhere in that entire town is somebody doing barbecue worth it?
0: No, Mission Barbecue, but you can get Mission Barbecue in Maryland.
1: No, but I'm not talking about a chain, but the, I mean,
0: no, no. And if it's there, somebody send me a message. And Cheryl, absolutely, because another great personality. Somebody Feed Phil. I've watched all those. He was a writer for um, the uh, – He was the showrunner
1: for um,
0: – Seinfeld, right? Raymond. Uh, oh, every, no, Friday everybody Friday. loves Raymond. Yeah. But I love um, – Ray Romano. Romano. I love that show too. Uh, everyone, Somebody Feed Phil. But I'm promising you that there's no good food That's, that somebody is doing that, that it's like, oh – I can't get this anywhere else. Like, okay, it doesn't exist. Well, that's, that's a damn shame
1: is what it is. Cause I have yet to find, and I'm sure they exist. I've yet to find myself in a town where somebody didn't know about something local that was good. Now define good. You you mentioned North Carolina. Um, Yeah there's a place that did uh, we put them on diners they did little tiny hamburgers and were they the greatest hamburgers in the world no but they were unique and they tasted good and they were done that same way this owner did them for eight billion years <laughs> that that to me is is legit food if if someone is trying hard to do it by hand uh I'll'll cut them a little slack if it's not right. the best they have ever eaten. You know, I remember I got, I, I, th- this is not an oxymoron. The wife of, here it comes, you'll think this is an oxymoron, the wife of Germany's leading food critic, which <laughs> he, he really was, he, he his name was Wolfram Ziebeck. he wrote for, I think Spiegel, might have been Stern. Anyway, he was on a crusade to turn Germans on to, um, well, basically French cuisine. But we were shooting a piece with him, and I mentioned in passing to his wife that because of the time difference between Europe and the US, after we finished sending stories to New York, to my disappointment, there was often nothing available to eat but McDonald's. And she just about beat the crap out of me, (laughs) insisting that I could have bought a baguette and, and some meat and cheese earlier in the day and that going to McDonald's was a
0: crime
1: and she, in that context she was probably right but
0: now now you've done the and it's funny when you're talking about Europe and your time you spent over there with ABC um, NBC run, or NBC excuse me that's right I've run into I've run into this um God who I was just talking it might have been my boss I was just talking to about this so I was in Corfu. In Greece. On mm-hmm. the Greek island. right, And I had the most amazing euros over there. Just amazing. Mm-hmm. But they were the size yeah, of... Yeah, because like, they're made they're, out of actual meat. They're not made out of that processed stuff. And they're the size of a damn tequiza. Yeah. They're not these massive, no. monstrous things. What's your experience with that? You know, with your travels and with writing a book like this, Food Americana, which folks you can find it on Amazon, you can find it on all your major platforms. Check your grandma's closet; she's probably secretly reading a copy of it. You need to check everywhere for Food Americana. And we're going to do the hot dog chapter. We're going to add Albany to the hot dog chapter because I think it's worth it—the little min- mini dogs because they're not—they're not like they're not like little schnitzels or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them, but they're like actual hot dogs, but. What has been your experience with that type of stuff where here in America it's like the, the giant plate thing, like you went to Spain, the Tapia uh uh tapia, you know, they the little small tapas. dishes tapas, yeah. thank you. The small dishes. What has been your experience with that? Well, look, we have
1: insanely large portions in the United States, and I haven't studied the etymology of it enough to claim expertise, I will tell you that everywhere else I've gone in the world, and that's Europe, Africa, the Middle East, uh, I did not do Asia absent one trip to Hong Kong, um, the size of American portions is astonishing. Now, I I will posit one fact uh, from my book, which is Uh, First of all, my my premise is that we made an American cuisine out of the cuisines of other countries and cultures. And that when they came here, first of all, any cuisine evolves over time. Secondly, we modified those cuisines to our tastes and our available ingredients. When uh, very poor Italian peasants came to the United States from Naples in the 1800s, They found a world of food that was completely different from what they were used to in that it was available to them. The reason pizza was associated with Naples was, uh, well, first of all, they had the ingredients, but uh, there was a population of poor people there who couldn't afford anything more than a basic flatbread with some tomato on top. If they were lucky, if they had any money at all, they could add a piece of lard or, or a sardine. Uh, when they got to the United States, one of the things that this group of immigrants was astonished by was the fact that even in poverty, working men's poverty, right. they could afford meat. Meat is not it was not available to them back in Naples. Uh, for the most part they couldn't even afford pasta except on sunday so it makes perfect sense that the portion size on italian food in the united states became insane you know you're used to heaping plates of spaghetti and meatballs that didn't even exist in in italy or pizzas that are piled high with ingredients or very famous sunday sauce the the pasta sauce that as opposed to being just marinara is now filled with pork or veal or beef or all three and the italian term for abundance being abundanza that's one example that that is one potential um, factor in the size of our our foods i would guess that another was the period of relative um, economic and societal um, wonderfulness, happiness that, that, that came after the, the Second World War. Now, uh, certainly uh, America's minority groups were not included in that. But for, um, for white America, that was a period of optimism and growth and the GI Bill and people could afford on, on one salary to move to the suburbs and and have a great house. And there was this sense of, we have more of everything than anyone. You know, when when Khrushchev came over, he had a debate with Nixon, uh, it it wasn't planned, in the kitchen exhibit of, of, it may have been a world's fair, but you know, the, the argument being, we have more of everything than anyone else. And I would suspect that that played a role in it. But yes, portions, uh, (laughs) portions in the United States are criminally large. And and they're part of the reason that we have such an obesity problem.
0: I I can't even argue with any of that. And I got to you're getting so many. I have to tell you, because food is close to the heart. You know, it goes back to that old saying of the fastest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Uh, Cheryl, who is. Our, our number one sponsor. And I got to go ahead and, and where'd my phone go? I have to re- take a moment here and we're going to take a little bit of a, a break as I get ready to read all these amazing comments. But if everyone has been looking, you, you saw David's amazing uh, mug shots today and all the different things. They are, sponsor, they are from our sponsor, Media by Dibble. Media by Dibble, your connection for all things media from logos, marketing campaigns to flyers and more making your ideas a reality mention the phrase belly up to the bar for 10% off your first order and for a free consultation so if you're looking for something you know maybe here's what we're going to we're going to have to do David here's what we're going to have to do when you come to albany we'll yes. send we'll send over to andrew pictures mm-hmm. of us tiny hot dogs and he can make like Special promotional photos for us.
1: I'm in, dude.
0: We're doing that. That's so happy. You know,
1: my my, my favorite food in East Berlin was kind of a hot dog. They sold vice versa under the elevated train tracks. It's a little white sausage made mostly of veal, I think. And the only place I could get those was in East Berlin. So you had to go through Checkpoint Charlie and they checked your car for stowaways. And then the first place I would go.
0: So was this like the legit yes, checkpoint yeah, So I'm in on hot dogs, the real like the one, yeah, legit, real. Uh, wow. Yeah. So and her she, and Andrew's wife is Cheryl. She says Andrew agrees with me that he would lived in Jacksonville for three years. There's just not. It's not there. It's, well, it's let's so go scary. down there and start a barbecue restaurant, bro. You could do it. I, I'm telling you. And then Scott Hoffman, who's a, a buddy of mine from high school, he's a big traveler, constantly posting pictures. He's all over the place, and he says he's bro, right. He like he likes to talk to the locals and ask them where would they take their friends to eat at? Uh, and he's never not. Fa- you know where the best Mexican food I've ever had on where? this planet? It's going to, mm-hmm. you ever heard of Willard, Ohio? Uh No, exactly. Exactly. The where is thing- Willard, Ohio? Well, it's in Ohio. It's like 30 minutes north, north. of Columbus. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing there is CX, CS- CSX trains, meth, And car dealerships, that's it. That's all that exists there. And this amazing, and God, I hope he's still there. The gentleman used to make what I called a Mexican cheesesteak. I don't know what else to call it. It was this amazing, uh, very authentic Mexican bread. And he would like do the peppers and the, the meat and the sausage and stuff this thing. Well, David, it was amazing.
1: You know, people don't know. You say Mexican bread. People think the only starch used in Mexican cuisine is a tortilla. When oh, in God. fact, when when the Spaniards invaded, they brought wheat with them, and it was a sign of culture to have wheat-based bread uh, in Central Mexico uh, at that time. But by, by the way, one one of the uh, the the um, graphics up here your last commenter talked about you know asking locals where they eat that that works unless you 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 aren't specific enough the first time I ever went to Vienna um, after we fed our story to uh, New York I asked the local drivers the, the guys we worked with every time we went there but this was my first trip I said take me please where you guys like to eat so they took me to a Texas barbecue joint
0: fair enough Jeanette thinks we have cheese on everything Mm -mm. Um, but not on on, not on pasta with seafood no and and Scott's defending it. he says Jeanette stay away from my cheese
1: yeah okay fine
0: (laughs) and then uh we have Jeanette again I told you she wants to know David have you I love kippers Kippers? kippers Oh, I'm sorry, I got to read. Did you have you ever
1: experienced kippers?
0: I've never had, What is it? It's a it's it's a fish. It's a fish.
1: Right? Um, look, I'm a New York Jew. I mean, the concept <laughs> of smoked fish for breakfast is in my DNA. Now, kippers. I don't think are kippers smoked. Uh, they may I be. Love- they're usually with a full English breakfast. My sense is that they're they're fried, but I I could be wrong. Yes, kippers are great. Kippers are uh, fabulous.
0: I love lox and bagels what a little piece of salmon on there. Yeah, uh, well, there's there's a
1: vegetables. renaissance now in lox and bagels. After
0: go I ahead, I don't get it. Like like so, my mom worked for um, a family called the Atmans, and mm-hmm. the Atman Deli in Baltimore is the oldest, continuously run uh, business in Baltimore and the oldest family. It's called Atmans Deli. It's in Baltimore City, right? And they are all about it. And that's and Jeanette says that they are smoked or and poached. I don't get poached. Poached, poached is basically boiled.
1: Basically boiled. I, I mean I think technically if you're better at it than I am, you come to right below the boiling point. But when I poach salmon, it ends up bubbling. So you know I'm not that good. You and,
0: you and me both. I, I can't do the poach. So so now we talked about the city that didn't have anything. Right. Now this is what's your I gotta go here, said Like somebody says, Hey, the comet is coming, they're gonna end us all. We're doing a dinosaur. You get this opportunity to go to one city for the last week because you know there's gonna be a lot of food there. What's Madrid, your, Madrid. But you didn't even let me finish. You knew Madrid. Madrid.
1: I mean, look, I can give you all of the, uh, yes, Rome is wonderful. Yes, Paris is wonderful. Marseille, despite being a dump, is incredible. But in terms of, I, I once, while drunk, tried to buy a Mexican restaurant in Marseille. That's <laughs> the whole other um, Drag me out. I consummated the deal. I, I just love the spanish combination of um mediterranean and and uh their heavy reliance on incredible pork and i I think that variety and also the style of eating which is not only tapas but it's an incredible um there's an incredible culture built around food there built around variety of food and there is no finer single piece of food than jamón um, uh, ibérico, the the Spanish ham. It's it's ham from from a from a Spanish pig, but it's a special pig that has um, at the high end of this item uh, grazed only on acorns, and it taste in the fat and it's it's sliced extremely thin and it's it's just astonishing so yeah i I'd, I'd go to spain i mean there's plenty of other places too if the world is going to end more than once you know <laughs> it depends what you want the 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 most probably the most remarkable city for food that i've ever been to is hong kong because hong kong is new york on steroids it has all of the ethnic variety in, in food plus all of the, to an American, exotic culinary culture of real Chinese food, real is a terrible word, I shouldn't have said that, um, Chinese food as eaten in China as opposed to Chinese American food, which evolved from Chinese food as eaten in China. I don't wanna, it's very important in my mind not to diminish the American variation of a culture's food because what we have is ours, now and that's something else but no in terms of uh let's just walk out and get a great meal from god knows where hong kong will blow your mind now um we were
0: go ahead atlanta what What? are you serious i'm leaving i'm sorry atlanta are you serious you
1: don't Stop. Well, look, I, I lived in Atlanta in the early 80s. I understand it has changed since then. Uh, I understand it even has a Rodney Scott barbecue now. So I am, I am open to
0: it. But Fox Brothers, Fox Brothers barbecue is incredible. It's, it's mind boggling. I, I have read both good and bad about Fox Brothers. Um, there's like a couple of different taco places that mm-hmm. are incredible. Mm-hmm. there's the varsity the varsity is amazing if you've never been to varsity varsity is amazing um the chick the special chick-fil-a is there that i've talked about many times on this show mm-hmm. that, will, that mind boggles people a chick-fil-a that serves burgers mm-hmm. which is chick fil chick-fil-a dwarf house and my favorite pizza place that i tell everyone about is in Atlanta. The best pizza you will ever have. New York City ain't got shit on this pizza. Chicago, I, New
1: I, I, I'm sorry I've eaten a pizza eaten in Naples. Naples. I I've believe Naples. I believe the pizza in Naples is the best I've ever had. And Antico next Antico next pizza. to that is the pizza made by Tony Gemignani in uh, in San Francisco.
0: You have to have Antico Pizza
1: okay I'll have into well, I have I have a friend uh friends uh, uh, a man and woman they're married who are moving from Michigan to Atlanta and I suspect we'll head down there but um uh, if you want to send me a list of where I should the, the the trip I'm looking forward to is in December I have a business trip to Charleston and eating my way through
0: Charleston is
1: something that's on my bucket list.
0: So my son was in the coast and was stationed there mm-hmm. and, oh. um, and we went down to visit him and i couldn't tell you the places we ate at um i definitely went through um zamato the the app and just was like finding places mm-hmm. yes Jeanette, we do we do have an amazing pizza place here in, in albany so you'll have to come when you come up i'm you know, coming up Willie, when you come up, well, we might have to hit the Fazio. So you know the guy from uh, Barstool Pizza, the Barstool yeah. guy that does the pizza. Yeah, he went to our DeFazio's and mm-hmm. gave DeFazio's like an eight point three or something like that. And I don't know his rating system. I don't know the guy, but everybody was like, "This is incredible." But the, part of the thing with pizza,
1: though, and and I'm I'm kind of a stickler on this is. An awful lot of people these days are are claiming to serve particular styles of pizza and not getting it right. Detroit pizza is all over the place now, badly.
0: What is Detroit um,
1: pizza? Detroit pizza is a rectangular pizza. It was originally made in liberated um, oil or tool trays in Detroit. The The, the trays were liberated from either an auto parts plant or an auto factory. Anyway, um, it's it's got uh, cheese all the way around the crust, sauce on top. Um, it's become kind of the thing over the past few years. The the guy who made it popular, Sean Rondazzo of the Detroit Pizza Company, tragically passed away uh, a year or two so after I talked to him for my last book. But even the chains are doing Detroit now, and they're not doing it well. Everybody and his brother claims to do Pizza Napolitano. Well, the fact of the matter is, done properly, Pizza Napolitano is not crisp, and it's even soupy uh, on the in the middle. And that's the right way to do it. And if you don't like it that way, then don't have it. But, right. you know, it, it just, if you're offering me something particular, I, I want it to be that thing. You know, we we see that in barbecue now because barbecue used to be very regional. You had to go to the Carolinas to get one of those tangy sauces. You had to go to Kansas City for burnt ends. You had to go to Memphis for Memphis ribs. You had to go to Central Texas for Bristol. And and there's a great food writer slash historian whose name escapes me embarrassingly at the moment, but he has referred to the places that are now putting all of these kinds of barbecue together on the same menu as the International House of Barbecue. And you're seeing that all across the country. On the one hand, I guess it's good if I want Memphis ribs that I can get them where I am, but A, it takes the mystique out of it. And B, I doubt there are a lot of places doing it as well as they do it in Memphis. Um, but yeah, it, it, as, as one old barbecue, uh, owner told me, it, it might've been the owner of Big Bob Gibson's, but I'm not sure. said, there, there's, um, there's a lot of shitty barbecue out there. <laughs> um, and, and he's not opposed to the concept either. He, you know, Big Bob Gibson's is famous for their white barbecue sauce. And he said, look, I see it all over the country now. On the other hand that white barbecue sauce is not hard to make he gave me the recipe for food americana so you know if you got six ingredients you can make his sauce but the point is whatever you claim a particular food to be make it that <laughs> I, <laughs> or rename it if you want to do it your way call it call it Sean's barbecue that's fine you you know whatever you want but um I, i'm i'm big and and look this fights my acknowledgement that food evolves but when it evolves I, I'd like to give it a different name
0: now you you I'm telling you this is probably I got to tell you right now David some of the the best listener involvement that we've had in a in a Great. while uh people cuz food I really think is an emotional thing completely how you grew up when we celebrate, we eat, when we're sad, we're eat, you know, it it was, you know, I grew up in a very, with a name like mine, you would think it was a very Irish household. It wasn't. My grandmother was was the first person in our family born here from Sicily. Oh, when you talk, you have some food in your background. So, so like when you were talking about those sauces, I can remember my grandmother would, would make the sauce and it would have meatballs ribs and sausage in it and it would soak all day long and was the most amazing thing and i still have her recipe somewhere in my in my safe in the safe for spanish olives she would do the spanish olives and she would roll them and crack the skin put olive oil and red pepper and stuff on them and let them soak and you would eat them and if you've never had spanish olives that way folks with where they're rolled and you crack the skin and then you put the olive oil on them and the crushed red pepper it's amazing, but like Scott's over here talking about his favorite taco place in LA is Los Tacos in Midtown, uh, near. What makes it so good? We'll have to Scott. You heard the question. What makes it so good, Jeanette? Who we we love our Jeanette. What is your most favorite Americanized version of an ethnic food? Does Me? that make sense? Like,
1: Yeah, so what is yours? My most favorite Americanized version of an ethnic food. This is going to be boring, but it's General Cho's chicken, which is a heart attack on a plate. It is everything that Americans want. It's crunchy. It's greasy. It's sweet. And in those, uh, especially the sweetness it is nothing like the General Cho's chicken that was invented by a chef um, in Taiwan after he escaped the uh, mainland China after the revolution. Uh, there's a great documentary on this, by the way, in search of General Cho written, uh, done by Jennifer Eight Lee. She, the number is her middle name. Uh, I think Eight is lucky in, in the Chinese culture. Um, she also wrote a book uh about chinese food in america i don't recall the title of it it was very helpful to me in research but her name is jennifer eight lee and she is uh an expert on a lot of this and she tells the story she went back to taiwan and found the chef who um who, who created this dish and she showed him a picture of what was passing for General Cho's chicken in the United States. He nearly jumped off a bridge. On the other hand, it is a perfect example of a food that has evolved to bear almost no relationship to, to its antecedent that I would eat nonstop. I mean, it's phenomenal.
0: Now, now, this is kind of based on that question, and I hope I'm wording this right. And if I'm not you, I'm gonna use your well-educated self, and I gotta agree with Andrew, uh, Scott. Yes, there's a lot of shitty barbecue, and Andrew with the fact that this is amazing interaction is. Do you find it kind of a get over it when certain cultures get upset that their food has been Americanized, or you know, people have have adopted it in new ways? It's I you know what
1: it. it's it's less people of a certain culture than it is that group of foodies who are into it only to be cool, not because of their love of food. And when it rains, Cheers. When, it, when, it, when it rains, they drown because their noses are up in the air. more uh, legitimate conversation is about the concept of appropriation. What is appropriation? I do not have a problem with someone who is not of a particular ethnic group studying and making that ethnic food um, with respect for where it came from, with deference to those um, who who made it first and earlier, with acknowledgement that it is of another culture and this is an homage. Um, there are uh, a number of people in, in the food world. I mean, Rick Bayless was criticized for appropriating uh, Mexican food. Although, uh, if you look at his writing, he, he was pretty um, transparent in um, in acknowledging that he didn't invent this and it came from someplace else. I, I think what got him in trouble was the sense that as a white American, he was the um, the prophet of Mexican food in America. I mean, Andrew Zimmern got in trouble and rightfully so when he was quoted saying that he was gonna save the Midwest from shitty Chinese food, as if he, Andrew Zimmern, was um, a Chinese food expert which I'm sure he's eaten in Asia a lot, but but, I don't think, as, as a white American, you, you have a right to wear the mantle of right. teaching America how to, how to eat Chinese food. Um, I, I mean, look, appropriation is a difficult argument, a, a difficult conversation. Um, I don't particularly mind the fact that mcdonald's and dunkin donuts sell bagels i don't think they have stolen my jewish heritage in doing I so say,
0: that's a perfect example everyone thinks they do a bagel and forget where the bagel comes from
1: well yeah the, look the bagel came from jews in poland um and maria bolinska yeah bolinska who has written a book called the bagel uh which is pretty much the definitive history of the bagel and and the reason one of the reasons it's so good is she speaks Polish, so she was able to go over there and and, and actually understand the records. Um, you know, the, the, the bagel was ours, and then it came here, and then an interesting thing happened to the bagel. First of all, it changed. It evolved like any other dish. It became bigger and less crunchy. Um, but then a, a very interesting thing happens in in uh, metropolitan large metropolitan areas, not not many, but but in the biggest metropolitan areas in the United States that have been um, the recipients of tremendous amounts of immigration from various places, ethnic foods become local foods. Um, New York, uh, New York, adopted the bagel as a New York thing after it was first a Jewish thing um new york adopts a lot of stuff uh the bagel went national however when uh, um, a couple of jewish guys acknowledged that the mm. jewish bagel would uh, would not sell in in mostly non-jewish mid america uh, i'm talking about the lunder brothers uh, of lunder's bagels i talked to marvin who who's still with us and a really great not guy uh, when I interviewed him, he was 78, so he's 79, 80. Uh, he's no-
0: I thought they were older than that, Blenders Bagel. No,
1: no, no. The, the, he he joined the business straight out of college, uh, the business that had been started by his father, and he had two other brothers who are already in the business. Marvin's the youngest of the three, and then one of them left. But the bottom line is the bagel, the New York Jewish bagel could not be distributed throughout the country because it had a half-life of like a day, if that. What happened was the guy who invented the rolling ping-pong table, the one you fold up and put away, invented the automatic bagel-making machine. (laughs) Now, yeah, the lenders (laughs) leased the first one. There is a great dispute. His sons, the Thompson brothers, insist That their machine could handle any thickness of dough, that it's not their fault the bagels got lighter. Uh, They contend that it was the other equipment that was used to prepare the dough to go into their machine that required the dough to be thinner. Anyway, you ended up, and Marvin insists that uh, through the mechanized process, it had to be a a waterier dough. So you ended up number two. Um, very intentionally, uh, the flavor and level of crunch uh, changed because, as Marvin said, uh, I couldn't sell this in the middle of America. And they, uh, this, this happened just as freezing was becoming a cool thing. So they were making uh, massive amounts of bagels on their automatic equipment when no one else had it, freezing the bagels and then selling them to grocery stores all over the country. They also began the concept of flavored bagels, you know, raised cinnamon, raisin, and all of the other options. Because up to that point, my I, I'm extrapolating from my own knowledge here, but I would think that you didn't even have everything bagels back then. You had plain bagels and sesame bagels. Um, I must
0: say, yeah, something minor.
1: Yeah. So that's what got the bagel. To- become American is not a New York Jewish bagel. What's What's happening now and has been happening for a number of years that's fascinating is just as there is um, a renaissance in artisan pizza or uh, artisan hamburgers, there is a renaissance underway in artisan bagels which are now being made by hand the old-fashioned way in places like Kansas City. Um, and And with that, in many um, bakeries or delis, you, you now see artisan smoked salmon, and, and all you know they're upscaling all of the dishes attendant to uh, bagels, lox, and cream cheese. Um, although what's interesting is you know bagels and lox were never consumed in Europe because really? in Europe uh, Jews didn't have smoked salmon or, or, or brine salmon. It was it wasn't a dish. It only became available now. The, the Jews of Eastern and Central Europe were used eating smoked fish, uh, but not salmon. And when they got to the States, um, they, they would eat um, smoked fish, uh, especially cheap smoked fish. Um, but when the Transcontinental Railroad was completed in the 1800s, it suddenly made it possible to ship salmon from the Pacific Northwest to New York. But uh, they, they hadn't invented refrigeration for train cars yet. So to preserve the salmon on this 3,000-mile trip, they would pack it in copious amounts of salt. The salt would brine it. Brine salmon is lox. And um, as uh, um, Mel Brooks told me, it was expensive. We could only have it once a week on a Sunday. Same thing, um, yeah, Mel Brooks. Yeah. You've heard of Mel Brooks. He's he's a they professional. Yeah, no, I asked him. I, I asked his people Does you've he want met, to, hold on. I've met him. You've I've been on the Brooke, phone. Mel Brooks. No, I, I I wanted to talk about lox and bagels. Now, who talks more about growing up Jewish than Mel Brooks?
0: Well, right, so I,
1: right. I I asked his production company. Would he talk to me? He agreed to. So we got on the phone, and he said, "Look, you know, we can only afford it once a week on a Sunday. But when times got
0: better, we could also have it on Tuesday." Listen to me for a moment here, David. Yeah, yeah. you talked to Mel Brooks. You had a conversation. He was, he was a he was great. Man. He right. He, he was, great. He was amazing. wonderful. Did he had velvet on. Did he have? Did it look like a? I don't know. Suit? It was a phone. It wasn't I, Zoom. I, go, I almost this. hey.
1: I almost broke into a chorus of springtime for Hitler.
0: Oh God, how great would that be? I nothing better than sitting down and making people watch Blazing Saddles who don't understand <sighs> it. Or the producers, <laughs> yeah. You know the, the thing. Pr- one I of the things the I, I history, brought. History
1: of the world. One of the things I brought to the writing process is um a vestige of I spent many years as an investigative journalist. I actually ran the investigative unit in 2020. And the key to to much of investigative work is just ask, all they can say is no. I interviewed Cecilia Chang, the most important person in the history of Chinese food in America. In her apartment in San Francisco, she was a hundred at the time. She has since passed away. But I, I, I asked, and she said, "Sure." She went in at one point, and she was a great uh, what a sophisticated woman. She's a hundred years old. She's wearing pearls, gray sweater, darker gray slacks. Her apartment overlooks San Francisco. At one point, we're talking about her her restaurant, uh, which the Mandarin, which really change Chinese food in America. She goes into the other room. She comes back and takes out of a manila envelope, the original menu with strike throughs and written additions in ballpoint pen. I mean, wow. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool.
0: That see, that's amazing. Cause I know exactly who you're talking about. I yeah. told you, I I'm, I'm a junkie for this. I, it's kind of one of those things that my wife at some point always looks at me and goes, do we have to watch another food show? Yeah, do we have. I well, by know. the way, have have you
1: watched Stan uh Anthony, uh, Stanley Tucci's show on CNN? No. Stanley no. Tucci's, Stanley Tucci's Italy. He goes to Italy where his uh, parents or grandparents are from. He speaks Italian and okay. he eats his way region by region through through much of Italy. It was on CNN. They probably have it online somewhere. It's Amazing. Absolutely amazing.
0: David, you and I, I think, could sit here. And this is one of those shows that, like, will never fall off. If we could do about 10 of these, I have to ask you, because we're going to get ready to wrap it up soon. I'm going to tell you my favorite sandwich in the world. Again, Okay, people who listen to my show know I'm a food whore. There's a fat kid that lives in my soul. He wants to eat everything. There's He's nothing trying to with. burst out. There's only one food I won't eat, which is urchin, and I've tried it three times, and all three times it sucked. It's a little just, rough. It, it's one of those ones where, like, if you eat sea urchin, you're like, this is amazing. You're a liar. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, it, it's not. Have you ever been to a little town in France called Toulon? Toulon? Toulon. No. No, tell me. Toulon is a port city. Mm -hmm. I remember being in the Marine Corps, getting off the boat. Our ship was so far back that um, they actually had to shuttle us to the front gate. When you walked out the front gate, you looked to the right, and there was a French Foreign Legion uh, recruiting (laughs) office that they told to stay away from uh, (laughs) because they didn't want none of us dumbasses. I'll go be a French Foreign Legion. They'll protect me. That will work. You know. But they would have – and if you ever get a chance, and you can look this up, and if you look it up, it will actually pop. Somebody was on the show one day and looked it up. They were called Smash Sandwiches. What are they? What it is is it's this French bread, good French bread, um, and they would put whatever protein you want, chicken, burger, whatever you want, lettuce, tomato, the most amazing. And I've told this story. French mustard. That the first time I had, I was like, mm, "That's a good spice." The second time, I said, "Add a little extra in there." And I bit into my sandwich, and my nose ran, and my eyes watered. <laughs> it was just so spicy. I was like, "This is amazing. I love every of- I love all this." It's great. Um, and then they would put your French fries on there, and at that point, the sandwich was about three to four inches tall, and it was not a panini press. It was a flat press that they would put the sandwich in and lock it down, and when it came out, it was maybe an inch tall, and <laughs> wrapped in paper, and you were half in the bag already. And they would hand it to you, and it was these beautiful French girls that were standing in in there, and there was like four of them in like a square, like like it didn't make any difference which one you went to, but you're a dumbass, so you pick which girl you want to. You're young Marines, you're like. She's hotter than the last one. I'm gonna go ahead and go over there. <laughs> None of it mattered, but I promise you, these smash sandwiches, by far. And I listen to me. I've had poor boys in New Orleans. Uh, I tell people all the time when they're like, "I lived out of Philadelphia," and they're like, well, "What's the best sandwich, best cheese taken in Philadelphia?" And I tell them all the time, "What neighborhood did you live in?" Pat and Gino's is garbage. No one in Philadelphia eats Pat and Gino's. Growing up in Baltimore. Crab cake needs to be broiled with saltines and yellow mustard or go get a pit beef sandwich. I've had amazing food. champs I've pit been. beef. Uh, what neighborhood are you in? Pit beef is chaps, is the big place, but what right. neighborhood are you in? We used to have a, a spot when my parents owned in the liquor store in a bar that had a pit beef stand right next to it, and the guy used to like begged my dad, like, Hey, can I put a stand up here? Absolutely. My uncle used to make it. It's one of those things. I've had sandwiches every i've had a cuban in key west florida a good golf swing from cuba toulon france smash sandwich is a friggin' game changer I, I will
1: put know. that on my list sir uh,
0: david so now that's my sandwich like that's my well, well hold on let me, let me
1: just let me just point out my favorite sandwich please that's what i want to hear Lox bagel and cream cheese from Russ and daughters on the Lower East side
0: what's it called Russian daughters
1: Russ and daughters oh, Joel Russ. Russ only had daughters and incredibly um, they took over the business and now it's run by the next generation it's a hundred and almost 110 years old
0: best, best locks and bagels what makes it the best locks like I know what makes that smash. okay the,
1: well there's what there's two things. Number one, the quality of the lox, and and by the way, for the most part, we're talking smoked salmon, which is smoked as opposed to lox, which is blind and salty, um, and which can be terrific. But if you, if you get lox, don't get an everything or, or, or a salt bagel because oh. there's a ton of salt in it. Um, what makes it special is that they and Barney Greengrass and, and maybe Zabars get the cream of the crop from Acme, the the largest um supplier of smoked fish in america and they get theirs from Acme's plant in brooklyn which i visited to to do this so they're getting the best number two there's a particular expertise in how you slice it i was allowed for the book to get behind the counter for us and daughters and try to slice smoked salmon and I turned it into mush. It's a counter, first of all, it's a long blade. It's very flexible and it's counterintuitive. When you think you should be going down, you should be going up against It's just, it's impossible. So if the locks is, is, sliced properly to the point where you can almost see through it, that's perfection. Now, number two, Russ and daughters started making their own bagels a year or two ago. And I think their bagels are terrific. So And they get um, you know some insanely cream cheese from that is the death row meal.
0: See, so let's go ahead and make this deal right now. I'm gonna cut a deal with you right now, David. We've got the connections with TV. You make Mm -hmm. amazing books. Mm -hmm. I'm a complete ass, and I love to eat, and I have a big opinion of things. The next TV show is me "Yeah, and you, it's me and you," mm-hmm. eating our way across every ethnic food we can find.
1: If we can sell food. it to Netflix, I'm in, big boy.
0: If we like, we'll go to we'll go to DC for Ethiopian because that's big Ethiopian. Excellent. There. Probably we'll pick up relax. a half
1: smoke while we're there.
0: <laughs> we smoke. I anymore. mean, you're
1: close to Ben's. You might as well stop in.
0: You yeah, might as well. well. We can stop and we'll go to uh, Le, what is it uh in Philadelphia, Larisi's. another great slice of pizza, um, or Lorenzo. Excuse me, not Loresi's, Lorenzo's. Uh, mm-hmm. No toppings, just a big ass slice of cheese pizza. Well, we'll also go to
1: John's for a roast pork and broccolini sandwich. <sighs> See, the out of towners, yeah, Thank
0: the out of towners
1: eat cheesesteak. The Philadelphians eat roast pork.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Philly's only ninety are... miles away. Uh, Johnson pork roll.
1: Well, pork you got pork roll or um, Taylor ham. It
0: kind of depends. Taylor ham.
1: Yeah, folks, for those of you
0: that are sticking with us right now, we just got two Mid Atlantic kids just talking about shit we yeah. like to eat.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
0: <laughs> like, What's wrong with that? Like breakfast. Breakfast at my at my house. Yeah, growing up as a kid, glass of milk and a peanut butter candy cake from Tasty Cakes.
1: Oh, in the freezer.
0: I don't like mine frozen. My no, dad,
1: I, I keep mine in the freezer.
0: No, I need mine yeah. super soft and mushy. Oh no, no, no! In the oh, freezer I need to be soft and mushy. Okay, well, yeah. there's
1: obviously a difference of opinion here, uh, and I'm right. Have you
0: ever had the uh, the the candy uh, uh, the Boston cream pies uh, the the candy Clare? It's like a Boston cream pie with a uh, no, graham I cracker haven't. crust. Oh my god! It's a graham cracker cuss, crust with the Boston Ooh. cream filling and the chocolate stripe. Ooh! It's you know, look, look, and Scott already named our show. I would su- subscribe to Two wow. admitted Atlantic Kids Talking Food. That's the name of the show.
1: Great! This is like on uh, Amazon. Um, you can pre-order by sending us a check for fifteen hundred dollars, Scott and. We'll, we'll keep it in escrow until the show's on the air, and tell your friends, okay?
0: We might have to, we might have to do a Kickstarter or something like that. But I, because see, I think this is perfect. You know the the writing side of this. I know the. I can eat this shit, and I don't care. I'll blow up like a tick on a dog's ass. But,
1: <laughs> well, no, but we have to go north too because we got to have whole belly clams and lobster rolls. I,
0: I see that. I'm all about it. I want to go see. I want to go out to Minnesota and, like you said, hot dish, which we the rest of us call casserole. I want to do that. There's so much food. I got an RV. I got an RV, Dave. Do you
1: see? I always. My, my wife wants to get an RV, and
0: I keep saying I don't like toilets with blue water. But uh, don't, don't don't put it. Mine doesn't have blue water. They okay, fine. D- different. T- you know, I
1: just got back from Minnesota. I was at the state <laughs> fair there.
0: That's a over a great the past play. weekend. I, I was looking.
1: I was looking at State Fair food for my next book, and we had hot dish on a stick. Um, hot dish on a stick. What is that? Here's what it was. It's a stick, and alternating, it's um, a small meatball and a tater tot. A small meatball and a tater tot, and a small meatball, and then it's dipped in corn batter and deep fried. And you dip it in kind of like a mushroom sauce. It sounds disgusting. No, it, it was not
0: <laughs> It was great. But but again, I'm gonna go back to Atlanta for a minute. Palookaville in Atlanta, Georgia. If it's still there, yeah. You, you used to do custom corn dogs. You could pick from uh-huh. Italian sausage, whatever yeah. you wanted, and the batter, and they would make it. And then they had adult milkshakes. So it was like uh-huh. there's, yes,
1: there's a lot to be said for adult milkshakes.
0: Like so, so, Dave, I mean, at this point, I'm going to call you Dave now. We're past Dave. Fine, We're on Dave. That's okay. We, you know, th- there's so many great names for this show that we could come up with, none of which I'm going to say right now because I don't know anybody who's listening. They'd be like, mix something, and then we'd be like, oh, my God, he said something horrible to Dave. Oh, but, no. You know, but. We're this, fine. The, the, this is what adults, this is an adult conversation from two guys who grew up in neighborhoods where you better have a little bit of. Little bit of chutzpah, or you're gonna <laughs> it could be a bad day, yeah. But you know,
1: you know, the classic definition of chutzpah.
0: What is the classic definition?
1: Killing your mother and father and then throwing yourself on the mercy of the court because you're an orphan.
0: <laughs> what are we? What are the two brothers that did that? They, uh, the the, 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 uh, the Peterson, Scott Peterson, yes. But that's it, that takes a lot of chutzpah. No, it
1: wasn't Scott Peterson, it was I know you're talking about. You know who I'm talking about. I know you're
0: talking about. A friend of mine did a big thing on him. Yeah. So so again, this is another example of why David and I would be so amazing because you there's never a name that's getting mentioned. (laughs) Do you know the guy? You know the guy? I know the guy. You know the guy? It's the one guy.
1: I know the guy. You know the guy?
0: Did the guy do the yes? Yeah, Yeah, he's the guy. (laughs) The Menendez (laughs) brothers.
1: (laughs) Yes, the Menendez
0: (laughs) brothers. Thank you, Scott. Jeanette got it, and Scott got it. So I'm gonna I'm so I'm putting this on you. Cause you're, yeah. cause you've got the connections. If you can, so we're definitely, we've talked about this. We're going to have a chapter in the book about hot dogs. So if the hot dog chat, I don't care if the hot dog chapter goes great. You and I, it's going to go great. And my wife would, my wife would be more than happy to watch me leave. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't was, know. In uh, the middle
1: of this, my wife brought me another drink, so I'm good.
0: So, so well, my, I will tell you my, as much as Jeanette is my number one fan, my bride is my number one supporter. She actually sent me a message before the show started. Let me know if you need anything. She uh, lets me do this.
1: Ain't uh, that so, nice?
0: It is nice. But we've got to, because, I gotta, see, I could keep going with this because I'm I'm just thinking of, like, what just came to mind. Like, what's your favorite? I, I know for me, what's your favorite mm-hmm. ethnic food that you didn't grow up with? That you discovered as an adult. For me, it's Peruvian. Peruvian. I, per, I've had Peruvian. You know where there's an amazing Peruvian restaurant? Where? Not far from you. By the Can way, I, I interrupted you.
1: What is your favorite that you didn't? It's Indian. Know?
0: Indian. I love Indian food. Um, Indian and Thai. It's probably a pretty close. I just well, but but here's
1: the thing on Thai: Southern Thai or Northern Thai.
0: You know what? I don't know the difference.
1: Northern Thai, which most Americans don't know, is an extraordinary cuisine heavily based on meat, especially spicy sausage and um, chicken wings. And most Thai restaurants in the U.S. where you get uh, uh, pod Thai, that sort of thing, that's Southern Thai. I discovered Northern Thai, um, there's a restaurant in a strip mall in Vegas that when I was doing things uh, for Al Roker's production company, he had a show called Roker on the road. We went there to, to cover a place in a strip mall that had been declared by one of the hoity toity magazines, the, the best um, Thai food in North America. Really? And it was, and years later I went back with my wife and it was still, it's extraordinary. And we had a favorite northern thai restaurant just through the lincoln tunnel in in manhattan um and we come from jersey so like just right th- on the other side of the tunnel is great but they closed they they lost their lease or something
0: now peruvian and, mm-hmm. and scott was talking about best places to eat in the city mm-hmm. um come out of penn station on eighth avenue because they used to work mm-hmm. for amtrak come out of penn station eighth avenue uh-huh. Go to get your chicken and rice at the cart right there. Make sure right. you for olives, white sauce, and red sauce. That guy is amazing. But olives, he changes the game because he puts olives in his chicken and rice. But across nice. the street from that, next to uh, – I can't remember the name of the pizza place. A lot of people like it. I'm eh, I'm a Roses. Yeah. Roses in New York City is, is the pizza I like. But right next to that is a Peruvian restaurant. Mm-hmm. And the, I used to work with a gentleman from Peru – and he took me like, oh. he took me there, like it wasn't like, hey, this is Peruvian food. He took no, me there yeah. and said, "Murph, try this." But he said most of the people that worked there were actually Brazilian; they weren't Peruvian, mm-hmm. but it was Peruvian dishes. And I had like the giant pieces of corn and stuff like that. Did so you have the, the ancho colchos,
1: the grilled beef heart.
0: I, I don't know. See, I don't know all the stuff. See, I that's had. that's their pretty They're much their the Chinese dish, I I couldn't get over the Chinese influence on Peruvian food. So he was explaining to me that in in Peru, they have a large Chinese population. So if you look at a lot of your Peruvian dishes, they will have noodles or have something soy-based and stuff like that. They have a very large uh, population of Chinese in Peru that he explained it to me. Um, You know, it's,
1: it's something similar. You know, fish tacos, they're battered. Right. There is a an argument made by some historians that they were really created by Japanese workers in Mexico on the coast, Makes sense. on the Pacific coast. Yeah. So well, look, it all it all.
0: What is it? Is it Iranian or Iraqi or something like that in Mexico? There's a huge there's a huge Middle Eastern population. That well, tacos all.
1: Tacos al pastor, the whole al pastor thing is Lebanese. There was a That's huge, you're talking about Lebanese. yeah. There was for some reason a large Lebanese influx in I think the 1800s, but don't hold me to it. Um, but the, the whole uh tacos al pastor thing is completely
0: um Middle Eastern and see, damn Jeanette, fine. See, now Jeanette brings this up, she could eat Indian food all day until she dies. Yeah, but see, I feel like I want to eat Indian food in London. Well, that yes, that
1: that makes Does perfect that make sense. sense. But again, that's an evolution of Indian food. I mean, um, the the London national dish, uh, the English national dish of curry, is not really from from uh, India. It was invented in in England. I, I think what you have in England is the same thing we have in America with Chinese or sushi, which is you start with a particular cuisine and then you you modify it many many ways. Plus, my understanding. Cuisine at all, but my understanding is that, like Chinese, we know of a few dishes, but there are multiple regional cuisines in India that Punjabi, we know nothing about.
0: Eat the Punjabis and the Gujaratis eat completely different. Um, I lived with well them a lot it, it, in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania of all places. Um, yeah, when I was there in 01 through 03, the neighborhoods I lived in huge uh, Punjabi and Gujarati populations. They eat very Be- well. Different- you know, it's funny, <laughs>
1: pardon me, how ethnic foods arrive in various places. For some reason, the United States government, in its wisdom, when it was resettling the Hmong population that had helped the CIA in the Vietnam War, um, the that was in the uh, film Green Torino, that, that ethnic group. Okay. Anyway, that Hmong population, which which uh, lived in a tropical climate, they resettled them to Minnesota. <laughs> and they resettled a bunch That's of Somalis guy. to Minnesota. Now, I don't know who thought that was a bad joke, but two or three generations in, you now have um, Hmong members of the city council in, in Minneapolis. I mean, it's, it's a good... Immigration. Well, it's uh, n- not to get into politics, but I'm right. I'm very pro immigration. It's it's a good American story.
0: Well, well let, you know, not to get it like you said, not to get into politics. But my if my grand my great grandmother doesn't come here and give birth to my grandmother, I'm not here. My food palate isn't here. I don't yep. understand the food. You know, I, I'm God. I love David I love this conversation this is at the heart of everything I do every when I talk to people I'm always like where are you from what do you eat what's the food there is it good there are certain cities I want to go to I want to go to Austin I want to eat in Austin listen put these write these down <laughs> write these down okay but see floor. they're
1: sending you to Austin because they want you to eat at Franklin barbecue Right, and I've absolutely. never eaten there. I've never eaten there, and I assume it's as good as they say. But on instinct, I will tell you to drive twenty-five miles outside of Austin and go to Louis Miller's Barbecue, which has been there for eighty years, and that's where you'll get the greatest brisket and sausage on the face of the earth.
0: Above Frank, now Franklin, if for those you don't know who Franklin's is, if you've ever watched the movie, um, the Chef. He's in that movie. Yep. Um, he's featured in anytime they talk about brisket, it, you've seen him on commercials. So you're saying, because you've had, have you had him I, I or- have not
1: eaten. I'm telling you, I've not okay. eaten at Franklin's, and maybe it's better. But the best barbecue I have ever had in my life is at Louis Miller's in a converted girls' high school gymnasium where the windows up on the second floor that haven't been touched in half a century are so full of grease and smoke that when the light comes through them, it's 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 like a cathedral. And the only thing they put on the brisket is salt and pepper. And we were there. We shot them for diners when Louis's son Bobby was still alive and running the place. Bobby's son Wayne has it now. Bobby has passed. And we're interview. we started at three in the morning with him lighting the fires and the briskets go in at three or four and lunch is served at 11. And, um, when they run out, they run out. But the uh, guy was interviewing uh, Bobby right in front of one of the smokers. And Bobby in the middle of the interview turned around and started moving briskets around. And this one went here and this one went there. And I interrupted, I said, Why'd you do that? He said, "Well, it was time. They needed it." I, and I it's it's the funny, and they make sausage. You know the secret behind Texas smoked sausage. What's that? Bull meat. It was initially figured out as something you could do with a dead bull. the 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 alleged culinary argument these days is, "Well, bull meat has a good chew to it," but the fact of the matter is. It's about the only thing you could do with a dead bull, and what they would do is they would mix the bull meat, which was extremely lean, with fat to the proportions that worked, and then they'd add seasoning, and and that's how they made sausages. And they still do to this day. It's still handmade.
0: You got me thinking, what is the place in Texas, only open on Saturdays, the the pit master, she's like 80-some years old. I know what
1: you're talking about, and it will not come to me.
0: I was just trying to look it up and I couldn't find it. If any, anyone's still hanging out with us and you can figure it out, let me know. That lady, I watched an entire thing, a documentary on her life and how, you know, she's a normally like a, either a school teacher or like a school lunch lady or something like that. And then she goes and does the barbecue on the side. She's 80 some years old. She was doing it with her son who passed away, and they gave her like a cup. She took a couple days off and then came back to the barbecue because the barbecue basically has saved her life right. because it's given her this new purpose. They are only open on Saturdays. That's another one of those ones I want to go to. I want to take you to Smithfields, though, David. I want to take you to Smithfields in North Carolina. Have you ever had that? Okay. No. Smith,
1: Smithfields is
0: like – Smithfields is like we're going to do this show. We're going to do this. Okay. Well, is what? Like what
1: so, where is Smithfield? So, what sauce are we using?
0: So, this is a true Carolina barbecue, vinegar based.
1: Mm-hmm. Red or yellow?
0: And, um, I'm going to say it's a yellow. It's a yellow. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a vinegar based because it's because it's Eastern North Carolina, right? Um, vinegar based, and Smithfields is probably a, a as close to a chain in that area mm-hmm. that I know of. It's but they do a Carolina style pulled pork where uh, on the pulled with slaw. Yes, that's Carolina style on the Sammy. Pork. Yeah, has to, slaw. has to have slaw on the sandwich. And uh, there it is. I see, I love my Jeanette Miss Tootsie, Tootsie Taminez. She's the one. Um, I'm on does, it? Does okay, the, so that's the one in, in Texas, but you know, it's just. We could definitely. I think this is. Is there anything down? Do we want to eat in Florida? Uh, sure.
1: Uh, you want to eat in Florida? Uh, yeah, you want to eat um, smoked mullet in Jacksonville. Like you want to or eat Kroger. um, I'm sure whatever they bring in in the Keys, you want to eat. Uh, other than that, it is not a well, and and Cuban food of course. And probably if we did our research, which we would do, I would suspect that given the international hub for South and Central America that Miami is and Tampa to a lesser extent, there are probably a variety of um, Southern Hemisphere uh, restaurants that we'd want to try. I'd be looking for, you know, shacks and trucks mostly, but that's... I, I would do that. Um, I'd love to do a comparison of, of fritas, which are those Cuban hamburgers with sho- shoestring potatoes on top of them.
0: Like shoestring potatoes? Yeah, which are,
1: which are. Um, I've never had one. I mean, I've written
0: about them, but I,
1: I've never tasted one. Yeah, there, there's enough to do in Florida, although I got a great story about smoked mullet. I was down there on assignment for NDC when I was working out of Chicago and Back then it was the days of unbridled spending. So, uh, of course I had rented a Cadillac and I was running really, really late cause I had stopped to pick up a couple of pounds of smoked mullet and I had it in the glove box and I was so late and it was really hot out. And I was so late that I parked the car in front of the terminal and went running in, um, intending to call Hertz and say I left the car there and I left the car there in the broiling sun and I forgot to take my mullet and then I forgot to call Hertz and it was like three days later when I called Hertz and said listen I left my Cadillac in front of the terminal what I did not say is um, I've had two pounds of smoked mullet baking in there for three days you you might want to fumigate the thing so uh, yeah Uh, but smoked mullet if you don't do that is really good
0: but you gotta. But see, now you're you're talking Southern Florida. I'm thinking Pensacola. So yeah, you know, the, you know what? Jubilee's Jubilee, in Pensacola, Florida.
1: Well, what I actually what I get from Northern Florida, from the Panhandle, every year is that's where I get my Thanksgiving turducken. There, there's a a place the called Cajun Specialty Meats. I'm not doing a commercial, but they're terrific. Right? Um, And I order my turducken from them every year because let's face it, you're up there in the panhandle, you're, you're, you're in the Gulf, you're, you're sort of Louisiana ish. And they sell a hell of a turducken.
0: I've tried it once. I didn't love the turducken.
1: The uh, key to the turducken is the duck because of the fat that it produces and the stuffing that, that they do. And if it's done well, it's, it's, it's terrific. Um, but again, it's it's you know, the uh, turkey, duck, and chicken you got uh, turkey and chicken are basically dry, blech, and then that duck will knock you on your ass.
0: Do you know how I, how I upgrade my turkey every year? No. My you throw
1: it out and eat a sirloin.
0: No, I wrap mine in bacon. Fine, you can wrap, I mean, yes, I, of course, you don't have to baste it, the bacon fat. Keeps but, it, keeps but then, but then it doesn't
1: taste. It tastes like bacon. That's like um, uh, 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 eggplant. It is eggplant has no flavor. It is simply a flavor delivery system for whatever you put on it,
0: and that's fine. I do a mean fried eggplant.
1: Yeah. Um. And what you taste is the oil, and the spices, and the breadcrumbs. And somewhere okay. in the middle okay. of that, there's some sort of neutral wallboard that was a vegetable
0: once. My my great grandmother, Grandma Rosie, is rolling over in a great her grave. Okay,
1: well, She's Grandma rolling. Rosie, I'm sure had all sorts of wonderful flavors on that eggplant, but the eggplant itself is like plastic.
0: Oh, so, Dave, we've got to. I'm, um, I am in, on this on this road trip. Uh, me too. The- because I think road trip shows are some of my favorite. They're the uh, best, especially when you get two guys that I'm not sure how old you are. I'm 45. You are?
1: Oh, 46. How old are you? I froze. I'm 60. I'm 66. I so will be 67 is, in November.
0: So, so this is perfect. You get a 45 year old guy, a 67 year old guy. We go on a road trip. If they want to use my RV. Like I said, I got a 31 foot... Now, classroom. I want to
1: be clear. Do you What's or do you not have blue water in your toilet?
0: I do not have blue water. I haven't... Then I will actually, consider it. I actually have like an... Like their, their drop-ins, they're like orange. They're like a citrus smell. Oh,
1: great. Now we're talking orange toilet water. Orange toilet water. It's great.
0: It's fine. I will
1: discuss this at some length with you offline. <laughs> we'll talk about it offline.
0: <laughs> but but this, <laughs> it, this is so great. And we can go and and you know through your connections, we'll do the podcast. What we'll do is we'll do the podcast as it's going. Uh, my wife is my wife jumped in. She does. She has a 1966 Thunderbird, uh, turquoise uh, top. Oh, water, oh, oh, oh! Well, now you're talking. Hold on. It. She does have a 66. I bought her that for her 40th birthday. A 66 uh, Thunderbird. It's a beautiful car. We just yes. Well,
1: now you're talking. Okay.
0: So I'm saying, like, we we hit these things up, and um, you and I, brother. Like, I think what the best part about it is, is other yeah. than this hour and thirty seven minutes we're at, we yeah. really don't know each other. So that makes for so we'll dynamic. we'll meet each other on the road. So it's an interesting dynamic there. I'll they could start off filming me in Albany. Mm-hmm. I'll pick you up in Jersey. And we'll start off eating in Jersey, and then we'll just go from there. I'm in. I'm I'm in, dude. I'm in. Come pick me up in Jersey. Just bring some
1: some Albany hot dogs, would you? Well, uh,
0: we got to do the Albany. Maybe we'll finish with the Albany hot dogs. That's possible. That's not a a bad idea. Finish with the Albany hot dogs. We'll hit your family and my family across the country. They'll introduce us to stuff. Because that's how you normally find stuff is somebody in your family introduces you to we'll load the RV with tasty cakes. We'll, we'll get okay. on the road. I'm in. I'm in like my wife, my, so I'm going to rely on you. So, okay. As I always, got it. You, you got this and I'm dead serious. I'm serious as a heart attack. You have no idea, Dave. You have this no idea. This would be great, Sean. Let's make it happen. It was, it's so much fun. And I know Let's my, let make it happen. It. Um, As always, folks, Dave has been David has been an amazing guest. You can find him on Twitter, face or Twitter, Instagram. It's at page P.R.O.D. production. So at page production, you can find him. Make sure you take a moment. You follow like give him all the love that we have here on the show. At the same time, make sure you go out and get you a copy of Food Americana. And you said there is there five other books besides this one?
1: No, no. Food Americana is the first. I'm working on the second.
0: Working on the second. And then yeah, him and though, I are going to work on, on the third. Damn straight. We're going to make this happen because this is, you know, I, I wear my spirit animal shirt here, and we're, we're going to make this happen. Trying to park a 31-foot RV across America will be a blast. <laughs> That'll be the I most entertaining thing.
1: Keep the fridge loaded. I'm in.
0: I am down with that. So we're gonna, we're going to do that make sure you give him all the love like subscribe to anything that you find him one make sure once our show starts you like and subscribe to that cuz it is going to be a hot mess of two a 45 and a 67 year old man drinking drinking bourbon eating good smoking cigars finding the best lox and bagels and seafood across america and the best ethnic food that we can figure out i'm in i'm in you know what you actually brought up a great point maybe we should find out from the from the state department or somebody like where they've immigrated people in from different cultures like hey oh you know
1: what we can certainly figure out what what the predominant recent ethnic um group is in each city and and go there um you mentioned ethiopian i uh i've been to ethiopia
0: Have you? See, I want to go there. I think that's a beautiful, like if you do anything- It is
1: the single most beautiful country I have ever been to. It's not just um, hungry people in a desert as tragic as that was. Um, I was in a a Royal Air Force, their version of a C-130. They were taking us uh, up somewhere. Me and my correspondent, the crew was in another plane And uh, we were standing in the cockpit behind the pilot and the co-pilot, and they decided to play Who's Is Bigger? And we're zipping along at, I don't know, 400, 500 miles an hour, and he dropped that baby to 30 feet above the desert floor, waiting for us to cry uncle, and neither one of us did, and he finally cracked and went back up. Oh, love it. Which is, you know, they, they have incredible pine forest in Ethiopia It's and mountains. It's it's just extraordinary. Well, and the nicest people. Oh, what a sweet, sweet culture. Just great.
0: Well, there's so many things. That's where the they, for those of you that follow any of the other History Channel shows, that's where supposedly the Grails are at is in Ethiopia. They still exist there. And they have uh, the... The town, temp- I don't know if they're considered temples or what they're considered as that are built into the ground that the king told everyone that the angels built is in Ethiopia. you never seen that? It's an
1: incredible place.
0: No, <gasps> oh god, incredible like place. so. They're, so, they're all these like um temples that are built underground and they have these canopies over them that remind you of gas station canopies that are over top wow. of them to, to protect them. And the biggest thing that these engineers have run into issues with is they're all built straight down into the ground, flush with the top, straight down into the ground. But the problem is, is uh, as far as their faith is concerned over there, they were built by the angels at night. So when these guys are building any or are, are trying to do stuff to help them out, they cannot lose a single piece because they were touched by the hands of angels. Wow. So they are all highly religious Everything is a religious monument. Everything is a religious figure. So you have to be very careful in their faith and in, in the way they see things. It's amazing. So we're gonna finish. up. We're gonna do our U.S. tour and then we'll do our European tour. And we'll, that's a whole nother thing. They'll have to get a right. better RV. I'm in. Than mine. mine. maybe yeah, we'll well, get one of those. Uh, what is it? Uh, Earth, Roamer, Earth Roamer RVs. We'll get one of those. Okay. Awesome. No orange toilet water. No orange toilet water in that one. That'll just be okay. you, you and it's I. A deal. Oh, Fine. So I'm wait. in. Like, I'm I, look, my my agent is really just me. So just have somebody call me, and we'll make this happen. Fine, I'll have my people call talk, talk to your have, people. Have your people just call me because it's just me. Okay, fine, great. <laughs> now don't. Well, my people is
1: my wife, who's also my lawyer, so we're good.
0: Well, sounds perfect. This is okay. David. I I feel like hopefully everything works out here. I have made a a new friend. Absolutely. Same here. You are same here, welcome. Sean. It's been a delight. You are welcome to belly up to the bar anytime you would like anything you've got going on. This is a blast again. Thank folks, you. Make sure you follow food Americana, go find David, all the stuff he's got on after this is over. Don't go anywhere. I got to talk to you something after we end this as always, if you've gone all the way through here and you've enjoyed this, make sure you take a moment. You like you subscribe, you follow either the Facebook page, YouTube, Follow both of those and go over to whatever type of phone you have, whether it be a Google phone, whether it be an Apple phone. You make sure that you go on there and you follow our show there. That's important. You may not understand it, but you have to follow it on those devices. You might be watching this. I just had a family event over the weekend. Everybody's like, yeah, we love watching you live. It's great. Yeah, but you got to follow those other things because those other things get other people to watch. And then it grows and grows. And then the show that David and I are on, You guys will actually want to watch us because it's going to be amazing. Him and I eating and him going, Sean, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm going, listen to me. I got this. This is a beautiful thing. This will be wonderful. (laughs) We'll sit down. We'll have locks. We'll have bagels. It'll be beautiful. (laughs) Perfect.
1: Couldn't be better.
0: you, You could only understand that if you grew up in cultures like David and I grew up. David, as always, the most important thing on my show, is that the guest gets the last word. What is the last word of the day for us? Well, first,
1: this has been great, thank you. The last word of the day is, in a world of chain restaurants, eat real food made by
0: people who give a damn. All righty, folks, be sure to push your stool in.
1: This has been Near Earplug Podcast presentation found on earplugpodcast.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever your favorite podcasts are found.